Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. We're continuing this series on crisis in the life of Saul. He was facing a critical crisis as king of Israel. And the question is, how do we respond in times of crisis, stress, or hardship? We can learn a lot about ourselves by studying how Saul reacted. How many know sometimes you learn what to do and learn what not to do? Saul was on the not side. Let's look at 1 Samuel 13, verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned over Israel 42 years. And Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. And the rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. And then Saul had the trumpet blown through the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. The people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal, and the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Say that three times real fast. They went up and camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets and among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, of course, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. And then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin. And Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. The greatest test of our character and commitment to the Lord usually comes in a time of crisis. And all of us will go through times of crisis, adversity, and difficulty sometime in our lives. And how well we respond to these crises will determine what kind of life we're going to live or the person we're going to be. Last week we studied the cause of crisis and wrong reactions to crisis. Today we're going to explore how we think, contemplate, process, and act in times of crisis and uncertainty. And here is the first thing that Saul sees. Number one. Saul's support is slipping away. The men of Saul's army are beginning to scatter. There are times it will seem like we're losing our support network. We all have a support group of some sort, right? It may be family, it may be friends, it may be co-workers. But when we're in trouble, we look for this sense of support from other people and people around us. And sometimes when we're going through 
difficult times, it seems like we're losing that support that it's beginning to slip away. And in those times, we feel like we may be standing alone. And David was in a similar situation as Saul, but he reacted differently than Saul did. David and his men had gone off to fight a battle. And when they came back, someone had attacked them. And they had taken all of their their plunder and even their wives and children and families had been taken captive. And so David and his men were in great distress. This was a crisis. They had lost everything and lost their families. And it got so bad, we pick up in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, in the Amplified Bible. David was greatly distressed, for the men spoke of stoning him, because of the souls of them were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Sometimes we have to encourage our own selves and find strength in the Lord our God. Sometimes the people in our lives are so vexed and grieved themselves that they simply can't help us. Sometimes we, go, we depend too much on people. We, we need their support, but how many of you know sometimes they're in the same predicament. They're fighting things themselves. They're dealing with challenges themselves. There are limits to what people can do for us. Even our spouses, there are limits to what your wife or your husband can do for you in times of crisis, especially if you're going through the crisis together. In fact, going through those crises can be a great test on the marriage bond. In those times, we must encourage and our strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We can't always get strength from other people. It's great when we can. And we should stand together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are the family of God. But there are times where God will bring us to a, a place where we can't lean on anyone else but him. Because we've got to learn to lean on the Lord first and foremost. Too often we lean on, on, a, on things that we escape from. We, we have our own system, our own network, but sometimes that network will not be enough. I'm not saying we are to encourage and strengthen ourselves by ourselves. We must encourage and strengthen ourselves in the Lord. It's not reaching within you to find that strength. It's reaching to God to find that strength. We are human. We are frail. It won't be enough in us. You can't just look inward and find that strength that you need. You need to look upward to God. Saul was too dependent on the support and the approval of others. Man, he, he was a tall guy. He was built like an athlete. I mean, he was impressive. He looked like a king. But what's amazing, on the outside, he looked all strong and courageous. But on the inside, he was very insecure. And what people said about him really got to him. I preached a whole series one time on, the, on King Saul. I called it the King Saul Syndrome. I, I'm, maybe I'll do that again sometime, but... I was amazed how weak this man was, how insecure he was. Even though he was king, he cared too much about what other people think. I mean, you know, if you're in leadership, not everyone's going to agree with you. But if you're right with the Lord and if you're hearing from the Lord, you've got to trust that. Saul was too dependent. His confidence was affected, his reasoning and his decision making. He was, he was worried about what others thought more than what God thought. How do we respond 
when we see our support slipping away. The next thing Saul considers is number two, God seems late in coming. Anybody can relate? Samuel set the time he would come to offer the sacrifice. Let's jump back for Samuel 10.8. This is where Samuel the prophet, prophet and priest, he told Saul this, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Very clear command. Samuel told Saul, go down to Gilgal, wait for me, I'll be there in seven days. And I'll make the sacrifice. Samuel said that. It had been seven days, no sign of Samuel. By God's time, he's never late. However, by our time, how many of you know, sometimes it seems like he might be a little late. Or not quite come through when we expect. I want you to know that God has a different timetable than we do. Sometimes we're waiting on God and he hasn't come through and we think he's late. But you know, he's on mountain time and we're on Pacific time. He's on heavenly time. When I lived and worked in North Dakota at the, the southwest corner of North Dakota is on mountain time. The rest of North Dakota is on central time. Just this small area, southwest corner of North Dakota. And you, I, I was always flipping my watch and wondering what time is it? I was late to meetings because I was on mountain time instead of central time. Drove me crazy. And that's sometimes how we feel with God. What time are you? What time zone are you in, God? Learning to wait on the Lord is fundamental to our spiritual discipline and growth. Part of growing in our faith is learning to wait. So many times in the Bible it says, "Wait. Wait on the Lord." It's a discipline God is trying to teach us. We're so tempted to try to get ahead of God because God's not moving fast enough in our eyes. But we learn to wait and there are benefits, great benefits to waiting on God, to waiting for God's best and not Satan's compromise. Look at Lamentations 3, 22 through 26. What's important whenever we have a scripture that we're familiar with, we're also familiar with the context. Most of us know verse 22 and 23, but we need to carry on the rest of the, of the context of this scripture. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions or his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. But guess what goes on? I say to myself, this is Jeremiah talking. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I wish they wouldn't have added the word quietly. It's hard enough for me to wait and keep my mouth shut. I want to say things. But it's a real discipline to learn to wait on the Lord quietly. 
You see, because of the Lord's great love and mercy and compassion, because of that, we know that's true about God, we will wait. We will wait on the Lord. So often we are called to wait. Waiting can actually save us. That's what it says, that it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So waiting can save our lives. In North Dakota, I was attending a safety conference by a large oil company. They introduced one of their young interns. And this young lady had a sister who was a college athlete, an older sister. And she told the story that her older sister would text and drive to work. One day, on an empty stretch of highway, a deputy found her vehicle upside down on its roof. This young lady was still strapped in her seat, but she was dead. They later learned she had just sent a text shortly before. And they surmised that she had drifted off the highway, hit a berm, and flipped. And in her unwillingness to wait until she was stopped, cost her her life. Now, in a practical way, how many of you know that's a lesson for all of us? Don't answer the text. It's not that important. It's not God. God won't text you while you're driving. Trust me. And that's the only time you need to really answer someone is if it's, if it's God. But in, in truth, if we're just willing to wait, how many of you know it can save a life? It can save our lives. And so, so many times I, I get in a hurry and I, I take shortcuts and every shortcut takes twice as long. And waiting will benefit us Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Another time God called his people to wait. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave his disciples this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus commanded the disciples to wait a few days for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, how, how do you define a few? You know, to me, if you say it's a couple days, that's two days. A few days is three or so. And so, they were not to leave Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. And Jesus didn't give them an exact time frame. He just said in a few days. It took ten days before the Holy Spirit came. And I imagine there were people who gave up waiting, said, you know, I, I've been here nine and a half days. I'm done. I'm, out. I'm leaving Jerusalem. And they missed the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is a lesson for us to understand. When we, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, often there's a waiting time. We have to wait on the Lord. If we aren't willing to wait, we can miss a move of the Holy Spirit. So how do we respond when God does not work according to our time schedule? How did Saul respond? Number three, Saul assumes the worst. Man after my own heart. The enemy's closing in. The Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Saul's guess that is the enemy will come down against him at Gilgal. He doesn't know this for certain, but he, he thinks the worst. 
Oh my goodness, my army's slipping away, my support is slipping away, and the Philistines are mustering their army. Oh my goodness, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end for sure. And so he lets his worry and fear get the best of him. While we are waiting, we should not be worrying. The goal is to wait without worrying. Look at Psalms 37, 7 through 9 in the Amplified Bible. Be still and rest in the Lord. Wait for him and patiently lean yourself upon him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way. I like that. Fret not yourself. You say that to your spouse and your family from now on. They're worrying, fret not yourself. Because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who, who brings wicked devices to pass. Sometimes we get, we fret. And I was, last night I was trying to go to sleep and I'm reading the news. Bad mistake. Because I start fretting at evil men. And the evil that's going on in the world. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. There it is again. It tends only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait and hope and look for the Lord in the end shall inherit the earth. Wow. How do we respond when we feel the enemy is going to attack and move in for the kill? And we would see the enemy closing in. We just assume we're going to be attacked. Do we formulate and fear the worst case scenario? Oh my goodness, I'm going to lose everything. Oh, this is going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and then after that happens, this is going to happen. Or do we be still and rest in the Lord and say, God, whatever happens is okay by me because you're God and you know best. Can we be still and rest in the Lord? Or are we going to live in fear Job did. For all of, good, of Job's good qualities, there was one area where he really lacked. Look at Job 3, 25 and 26. After he lost everything, this is what he said. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest but only turmoil. You see, Job admitted that he had been living in fear. He was living in fear. He was the most blessed man on the planet, and he was afraid to lose everything, and he did. What he dreaded came upon him. And sometimes we live that same way. This is exactly what I was afraid of. I knew this would happen. I knew God wouldn't come through in time. I knew that I would lose this or that or this would take place. I knew you would say that. And we can live in dread and fear. And you say, well, guess what? Those things happened to Job. They really came to pass. Yeah, but read the end of the book where he received double of what he lost. And he remained faithful to the Lord and he did not curse God and die like his wife wanted him to. And God punished her. She had 10 more children. If it had been grandchildren, it would have been a blessing. <laughs> when we are in crisis, we sometimes assume the worst. 
So we, we can't let our anxiety or our vain imaginations, as the King James says, don't let vain imaginations. We imagine what could happen, scenarios. We can't let those get the best of us. And because Saul sees his support slipping away, and because God seems late, and because Saul assumes the worst, number four, he thinks he can force God's hand, force God's favor. Saul realized he had not sought the Lord's favor, so he offers the sacrifice on his own. Guess what Samuel said? Samuel said, I will make the sacrifice. Saul says, well, Samuel's not here, so I'm going to make the sacrifice. Disobedience. I mean, oh, God cares about full obedience and how we do things and why we do things. And so Saul thinks he can earn God's favor on his own, even by breaking the rule. <laughs> He's trying to force God's favor. He's trying to make it happen. I told you the story a couple weeks ago about the, the fuel filler door on Jolene's car. That stupid thing won't open. It's got a little toggle, you know, you're supposed to push it and it's supposed to pop open. I'm pushing, 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 nothing. Was stuck at a gas station, running out of gas, couldn't get that stupid door open. Pulled into the dealership, and of course, it wouldn't, it opened right for him. And so, there's, you know, he kind of looks at me, I hate that look. I'm serious, sir, it really happened. And so I assumed it was broken or some design flaw. And so I've tried to force it open with my key and other things. There's all these scratches around the door. Now I got to get that painted. And so I was, I'd had it one day. I was like, this baby's open and I don't care no matter what. I am opening this field door. If I have to force it open, I'm going to force this thing open once and for all. Before doing that, Jolene had a suggestion. Maybe the car had to be unlocked before it would open. And I'm like, psh, psh. Guess what? I gave it a try and it worked. Once again, my brilliant wife kept me from making a huge mistake. It's happened a lot. She always does these kind of things. I'm trying to make something work. There was a time I couldn't get the outlet to work for the Christmas lights, and I was going to drill a hole through the garage wall. And she said, have you tried this switch? <laughs> Click. Lights came on. Or there would still be a hole in the wall of my garage. It wasn't broken. It wasn't a design flaw. I didn't need to force it. I just needed to read the owner's manual. Hmm. I needed to learn how it worked. How does God's favor work? Well, you know what? It can't be forced. God's grace cannot be earned. It's a gift. We can seek after it. We can find it and we can receive it. But we got to read the owner's manual, the Bible. And when we see our support slipping away, we need to, we think we can somehow earn God's favor. We can't. We can seek it but we can't force it. And throughout the Old Testament, it says, so-and-so found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Look at Genesis 6, 5 through 9. 
The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. How do you find God's favor? Walk with him. It's all about a relationship with the Lord. And Saul was doing none of that. In fact, Saul tried to find God's favor through disobedience. He was going to offer the sacrifice himself, and that was not allowed. The king was not allowed to make sacrifices. That was only for a prophet and a priest. And I'll talk more about that next week, how important that is, the offices God said in the Old Testament, and the boundaries God gives each and every one of us. And so the king was never to make the sacrifice like that. It had to be done through the priest or a prophet. And so Saul tried to manipulate God's favor by offering the sacrifice himself. And he was actually sinning in the process. He was sinning trying to get God's favor. We can't live in sin and expect to have God's favor. We can't walk in disobedience and hope to receive God's blessing. And we see this same principle in closing in Daniel 9.13. Daniel says of Israel, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all of this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord, our God, and here's how, by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. How do we find God's favor? We turn from our sins and we pay attention to his word. We need the favor of God. We want the favor of God. It comes by walking with him and walking in his truth. Would you bow your heads with me today? Do you see your support slipping away? Are you feeling alone? Perhaps God seems late in coming and answering your prayer. Are you assuming the worst case scenario? Are you trying to earn God's favor on your own? If any of those apply to you today, I want to pray for you. And so, if God has spoken to your heart today along those lines, would you just slip up your hand? And you can put your hand right down. I want to pray for you. God, you've seen those who have raised their hands. Lord, you know the struggle, the crisis they are going through, the challenge that they're facing. And Lord, I pray that even if they see their support slipping away, God, they would see that They can lean on you, always. And God, you're never late, but you're rarely early. And so we gotta learn to wait, to wait on you. Teach us to wait. And Lord, we do ask for your favor. We seek it, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because we walk with you and we walk in your truth. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask if if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you can do it today. You can turn your life around. 
because of God. So if you're ready to give your heart to the Lord today, would you just slip up your hand? Anyone in this place? And give your life to Christ? Anyone at all? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. If you raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And I'm going to ask the rest of you who are already Christians, would you join in? Because there are people today making a, a bold stand to give their life to Christ. So if you raise your hand and the rest of you as well, if you're already believers, would you repeat these words? Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. Dear Jesus, I receive. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the new life. And I receive eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you fill out the card, the info card in front of you? You can drop it in the offering boxes or you can take it to our welcome booth. We just want to follow up with you. We're also going to have our elders come and stand at the front. If you need prayer and you want somebody to stand with you, then I encourage you to come and allow these elders to pray with you and to stand with you. Would you stand with me? And just ask that you keep your conversation to the foyer because there are those here in the altar and worshiping the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. You're free to go. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.